Jordan and I would like to thank everyone for all the positive support and feedback we've received since the launch of our new season. We have a passion for telling stories and helping others, and this podcast is a way in which we can do both. If you would like to help support our cause, please visit our website at thinairpodcast.com for links to our Patreon page. Patreon is a website that allows you to donate any amount per month to artists you love. Your monthly pledge helps us meet goals, which allows us to continue to produce our podcast in more professional ways. Thank you to all our current donators. Your contributions really mean a lot to us. If you want to visit our Patreon page directly, you can go to patreon.com forward slash thin air podcast. Now, on with the show. I made Brenda Gordon a promise 20 years ago because one of her biggest fears was that people would forget about Trudy. That heaven forbid this should go on for years, which which it has. Um, she didn't want people to forget about her and forget that she's still out there somewhere and she's still missing. And yes, she was a real little girl. And um, I promised her 20 years ago that I really couldn't do much, but I would do everything in my power to make sure that nobody forgot about her as long as she was missing. That was Kelly Carlson. She was an adult in 1996 when 11-year-old Trudy Appleby disappeared from her home in Moline, Illinois, a small city about two and a half hours west of Chicago. Kelly's daughter Amber was best friends with Trudy and they, at the very least, spoke on the phone every day. Moline, a city with a population of a little over 40,000, doesn't see a lot of crimes, especially those involving the strange disappearances of little girls. Kelly continues. I've lived in Moline since I was five years old. So Moline is my home. It's not a huge city, but it's not real small. I think it's probably about 40,000 people, maybe. I mean, we're right in the heart of the Quad Cities, and we're the home of the John Deere tractors. John Deere lived in Moline. We've got good schools. We've got a fair amount of businesses here. I mean, it, it, it's, it's not a bad city to live in. It's really a pretty safe city. However, on August 21st, 1996, Moline was anything but safe for 11-year-old Trudy Appleby. It's hard for me to describe Trudy, but the impression I get is that she was friendly and energetic, traits that also can translate to naive and rowdy depending on their context. She had shoulder-length brown hair and blue-green eyes, and based on Kelly's description, she could be caught skipping everywhere she went. On the day she went missing, that morning in August of 96, it was summer for Trudy and Amber, and the first day in weeks that Trudy had her freedom back. According to Kelly, Trudy had been grounded after getting caught shoplifting candy from a market nearby perhaps as an act of rebellion over her parents' looming custody battle, or perhaps just a childish mistake. Regardless, Trudy and Amber had plans to hang out that day, and Trudy was supposed to call Amber early that morning. So, as the day went on without a call from Trudy, Amber knew something was wrong. Amber, who was 13 at the time her best friend disappeared, recalls the events of the day Trudy vanished. I remember that day pretty clear. Um... I woke up late, slept through my alarm, tried calling her house over and over and over again. No answer, no answer, no answer. And then it was probably after her dad got home from work. 
which would have been late afternoon, early evening. Um, I got a phone call from him wanting to know if I had seen her or heard from her because he noticed that, you know, our number was on the caller ID over and over again, and I explained to him, no, you know, we'd made plans the night before to hang out that day and that I woke up late, so I kept trying to call, and he said it doesn't look like she'd been home most of the day, the dogs hadn't been fed, um, you know, the whole nine yards, her chores weren't done, and that's when we kind of all panicked. There isn't a lot of actual information about what happened that day in August, but here is what we do know. We know that prior to this day, Trudy had been grounded for trying to steal candy from a grocery store nearby. We know that she had plans with Amber that morning, but never made it to our house. We know that between 8.30 and 10.30 that morning, a silver or gray four-door box-style car pulled up the long driveway to Trudy Appleby's home. We know that the man driving the car is described as a white male, perhaps in his mid-twenties, with dark brown or black curly shoulder-length hair. We know that she had with her a bathing suit and a towel, and we know that she was never heard from by her friends or family ever again. What was your initial reaction after her dad called you? Um, I told my mom that I, somebody had her. Why did you think that somebody had Trudy? Because she would never not do her chores, take care of the dogs. Um, she wasn't one to make plans to come over here and then just not show up. Do you think that whoever took Trudy... Do you think she was taken by force, or do you think she voluntarily went with this man? Um, I personally personally believe that she left her house that morning with someone that she knew. Um, she was too street smart to get into a car with a stranger. That and their dogs sometimes wouldn't even let me come to the door, and they knew me for five years. And I honestly believe that she left her house that morning with every intention on returning home, and that's not what happened. When was it officially confirmed that Trudy's missing and we've got a problem on our hands? If memory serves me correctly, it was about 24 hours before the police really took it seriously. In the beginning, they thought, you know, oh, she just, She's been gone for a few hours. She just went off with some friends, and and then um, they seemed to think she'd just turn up later. And at one point, they thought, "Oh, we think she might have run away." I said, "No, no, she didn't run away. If she was going to run away, she would have said something while she was here. She would have said something. She would have said something to my daughter, and my daughter can't keep nothing quiet. So she would have blurted that out to me, you know, right away." Trudy said she was, you know, and that never happened. In those crucial 24 hours after Trudy went missing, it seems as if police were investigating her disappearance as a runaway, even spending time questioning Amber about what she may have known about where Trudy could have gone. It was, it was horrible because they tried to argue with me and tell me that, you know, the first two days after her disappearance, oh, she ran away and you know where she's at and we know you know where she's at and it was just ridiculous and they don't, and back then, they didn't have Amber Alerts or anything like that. So they looked at every situation like this with a child as a runaway. And now it's, it's way different. 
The primary reason, police argued, that they believed Trudy was a runaway was because they assumed that she was upset at her parents about a recent custody battle. She knew her mom loved her. It was just that her mother had a hard time... I'm trying to think what the best way to say this is. Trudy was a pretty active kid. And and her mother just just had a really hard time dealing with with how active Trudy was. Trudy ended up living with her dad. There were there were some custody issues like I said going on and it 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 was, you know, you have a mother that says one thing and a father that says another thing and and I I I think it had a little bit of an effect on her a little bit was there any reasons to believe that she would have run away did she have any incidents in the past where she had run away or did she had she expressed to anybody thoughts of running away no not to me anyway she there there were some some things going on between her parents some i think custody issues and and conversations and things like that and um they were supposed to go on vacation her and her dad which that was supposed to be a, a really fun trip and she was supposedly really excited about it but she said to me she wasn't all that excited about going but that she was going to go anyway so with with the the custody issues going on between um, her mom and her dad at that time, I think the police probably checked into that, and that was probably one of the things that made them think that maybe she took off because, you know, she didn't want to get caught in the middle of a big custody issue. And I read reports that she left behind, like, $200 or something that she had been saving up. She was saving that up for um, vacation, you know, she, her, that was her money, her all her allowance and everything she was saving for their vacation. And um, she didn't take any of that money with her. Despite the fact that Trudy had not taken any important belongings or the cash in her purse, police still pursued the case as a runaway. Regardless what the police believed at the time, it's become apparent now, two decades later, that Trudy didn't run away. And the two most common theories are that she was either abducted by someone she knew or fell victim to an accident that has been covered up by those involved. What was it like for you the days after Trudy vanished? Mm, It was pretty crazy. I'd go to school, I'd come home from school, I'd go sit at her mailbox hoping that I'd see her come, you know, skipping down the road or up her driveway, and I didn't really do much other than go to school and come home. Were you scared? Oh, yeah, I was terrified. I mean, there was one night shortly after she disappeared. um, I don't remember if I was going out to the bathroom from my bedroom or what, but I saw a man standing across the fence line in our backyard here at my mom's, dressed in black. And I woke up my mom, and we called the police, and by the time they got, it was the winter, so it was a couple months after she disappeared. And by the time they got out here, there was nobody out there. 
in the neighbor's yard behind us, but there was footprints. And, I mean, they spoke to the neighbors, and it wasn't any of them. To this day, we have no idea who, who it was. So, yeah, it was scary. What was it like for you and your family the days after Trudy went missing? Oh, my gosh. It was, it was, this neighborhood got so quiet. Um, at that time, there were several of us that had younger children. And um, we were afraid to let our kids outside because we live in a pretty safe neighborhood. It's a real quiet neighborhood. We've got a dead-end road, and it's just a real quiet, safe neighborhood. With a possible abductor loose on the streets of Moline, rumors began circulating about possible perpetrators, and a name that kept coming up throughout the investigation was that of a man named David Whipple. At the time, David Whipple didn't seem like the usual suspect. He was married, had children, and was generally well-respected in the neighborhood. Trudy was friends with one of David's daughters, and Trudy would often go on day trips with their family to Credit Island Park, a small island in the Mississippi River just a short 30-minute drive from Moline. Coincidentally, David Whipple told police that he and his family visited Credit Island Park on August 21, 1996, the same day Trudy went missing. Trudy's family has openly speculated that it may have been possible that Trudy went with the Whipples to Credit Island Park that morning and that something happened to Trudy. Scared of getting into trouble, David Whipple has kept quiet about what happened that day. However, there isn't much proof of David Whipple's involvement. The trip could have been coincidental, and the fact that Trudy left with a swimsuit and a towel could mean she was going anywhere with water. To make matters worse for David Whipple, beloved father and family man, he was convicted in 2002 for sexually abusing a member of his family. The allegations stem back to 1996, the year Trudy disappeared, and the victim at the time was 10 or 11 years old, the same age Trudy was at the time of Whipple's abuse. I couldn't contact David Whipple, and neither Kelly nor Amber said they knew enough about David or his family to feel like they could comment on his involvement. However, what they did make clear is that Trudy never shared with them any information about abuse she may have experienced at the hands of David Whipple. Did Trudy ever talk to you or confide in you about anything related to her interactions with the Whipple family? Not really. I mean, I knew one of the girls in the Whipple family from school, but not very well. There are other elements of the David Whipple theory that don't match up. The car that Trudy got in, that silver four-door box-style car, wasn't the same car the Whipple family had. And the description of the man doesn't match eyewitness reports. If we put aside the David Whipple theory momentarily, then what are we left with? Who could have been unknown to the neighborhood, yet not a stranger to Trudy? From what you and your mom have described, Trudy as being extremely street smart. So it doesn't seem to me or really anyone that I've talked to so far that she would get into a car with a stranger. Couldn't have been a stranger because there's no way you can't see her house from the street. You don't even know that house exists unless you've actually been down the, dri the super mile long driveway through the woods and, you know, stumbled upon her house. 
I'm only a few years older than Trudy, and when I was that age, I know that the the internet was just becoming popular, and AOL and chat rooms and those sorts of things. So I was curious, did Trudy have a computer in her home that had access to the internet? If she did, she never got on it. I didn't like her dog. One of her dogs wasn't very friendly, and her dad didn't really want us being there, especially when there was no adults home. So we spent a lot of time playing at my house and then at another neighbor girl's house on two streets behind us. Today, it seems like one of the first questions we ask when we believe a teenager ran off with a stranger is whether or not they met them through the Internet. However, in 1996, access to the Internet wasn't as common as it is today. The most popular service at the time, AOL, was just beginning to make its way into people's homes. So, while the possibility that Trudy ran off with someone she met off the internet is low, it is still a possibility. Neither Kelly nor Amber could confirm whether or not this had been investigated by local police. Out of Leeds, the police investigation eventually stalled. Weeks turned into months. Seasons passed and Trudy still never came home. This year, 2016, would mark the 20th anniversary of Trudy Appleby's disappearance, and the effect it's had on her family and friends still reverberates. What kind of effect has Trudy's disappearance had on your life as an adult? A lot of effects, actually. I am now a mother myself, and I'm a bit of an overbearing mom. But, I mean, my son's going to be 9, my daughter's going to be 11. They know why I am the way I am. They know all about her. I think the worst part, one of the worst things about being an adult now is I see how it affects my children. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Well, when we went to her vigil in August, uh, my son sat in a different row of seats than me and my husband and my daughter, he sat next to my best friend's boyfriend and their little one. And I looked over, and he had started to cry. So I got up and went and sat with him. And, I mean, you know, it's not just my children either. It's her little cousins, you know, that never got to meet her. And it just looking at that, looking at these poor babies, you know, that was me at one point in my life. Hearing how Trudy's disappearance affected Amber and her family, I yearned to know how it affected the lives of her parents, Dennis and Brenda. Dennis Appleby never gave up looking for his daughter, attending every vigil and actively searching for Trudy. Then, on October 10th, 2014, Just weeks after the annual vigil for Trudy, tragedy strikes again. The woman was trying to cross Avenue of the Cities at 53rd Street around 9.15 when she was hit by a van. The 53-year-old pedestrian was taken to Illini Hospital where where she was pronounced dead. The driver of the van, 46-year-old Octavio Pisano, was arrested for aggravated driving under the influence. While police are not confirming, tonight family members tell CBS4 the victim of this accident was Brenda Gordon, the mother of Trudy Appleby. Appleby went missing from her Moline yard in 1996 at 11 years old. She has never been found.
I tell you, my heart just aches. My heart aches for her mother because her mother never stopped looking for her. That was her only child. This woman went to her grave not knowing what happened to her only baby. And that just breaks my heart because I don't know what I would have done had one of my children ever come up missing like that. But she, she never gave up hope. 20 years in, it seems like hope is all that those who were close to Trudy have left. Then, this past August, at Trudy's 20th anniversary vigil, the police make a startling announcement. 20 years after 11-year-old Trudy Appleby was abducted from her neighborhood in Moline, police are now revealing new information to the public. Someone is holding the truth. Tonight you will hear some information that will hopefully awaken a spirit of determination in each of us. Detectives from the Moline Police Department saying for the first time they know who is responsible for abducting the little girl. We believe after 20 years it's time to put this information forward. Um, it, we were, we we're hoping that it prompts someone to give us information. Michael Griffin is a detective on the case. He says the department believes the main suspect is dead, but they want his family to talk. We want to know what they did with Trudy. Where is she at? That's what we want to know. And there were people there when it happened. People know the secrets. People know the details. Griffin says the minds of Trudy Appleby's loved ones could be put to ease if only the family of the suspect who took that 11-year-old girl would come forward do unto others, you know, and they obviously don't care. It's about self-preservation and, and they're wrong. The person that they believe is responsible, they said they, they believe that that person uh, died some time back. So I've always thought, you know, somebody out there knows what happened to her and for whatever reason, they didn't, they're not coming forward. I don't know if it was because they were afraid. You know, they were they afraid of, of retaliation by whomever did this or afraid of being arrested? I, I don't know. If they were afraid of retaliation from whomever the perpetrator was, if that perpetrator is indeed dead now, they don't have anything to be afraid of anymore. If, if that person's listening right now and... Uh, what would you want to tell them? What would I want to tell them? Yeah. I would want to tell them, um, I, I, I don't know who you are, but surely you've got to have your own children by now. And think of this from a parent's perspective. If this was your child that had disappeared without a trace and nobody ever came forward, and you lived all these 20 years never knowing what happened to your child. Never knowing. Never knowing if your child was alive, if your child was dead, if your child was safe. Just never hearing from your child again and never knowing. That would just eat away at your soul. And I, I, I would tell them, don't you have some guilt? The guilt that, that you're living with has got to be 
just enormous. I could not keep a secret like that and live with myself. I could not sleep at night. And and part of me part of me wonders how does that person sleep at night? And then I got to be honest, the other part of me kind of hopes they don't. But you would think at some point somebody whoever knows they're going to be so consumed with guilt if if he just came forward and and said what happened if we just knew what happened so i see even on your facebook page that you and your daughter are still raising money for trudy's reward fund even after 20 years you guys are still sort of rallying money together and do you want to talk a little bit about that reward fund and maybe what your goal is and how people could help? I do. Um, we have set up the Missing Trudy Appleby Reward Fund at the IH Mississippi Valley Credit Union here in the Quad Cities for local people that can donate. Um, there's also a GoFundMe link, which you'll find on the Missing Trudy Appleby page for people who would opt to use a GoFundMe the count. There is also one of those. And the reason that we did this, there is somebody out there that knows exactly what happened to this little girl. And um, I believe they've been keeping it a secret for 20 years. There was a lot of coverage about this, you know, latest uh, announcement from the Moline Police Department on the internet, Facebook, and that sort of thing. I, I saw a couple of random responses to one of the one of the interviews that was was posted on on a news channel's Facebook page. And it stated, have they ever thought of a reward? And um, somebody said, well, Crime Stoppers has a reward. And somebody else said, Crime Stoppers' reward is only $1,000. I don't think that's enough money to get somebody to come forward. And I thought, well, you know, if, if, if it's going to take money to get somebody to fess up, well, then we're going to try and raise some money. You said that the police had made an announcement that they feel like they know who's responsible. And you also said something to the effect of somebody knows more than they're letting on. When you say this and when the police say this, do you have somebody specifically in mind? I do not. And and I think that the police do, but they haven't released a name or anything because um, I'm assuming it's because if they release a name, then then uh, without without any proof, that could just um, have devastating effect on on the on the case. Um, they're just hoping that 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 someone who knows what happened. It, I mean, if. If they know, oh, gosh, they think they know who it is, and, well, you know, maybe we better say something. It's been, it's been a long time. As this year marks the 20th anniversary of the disappearance of Trudy Appleby, I don't want our episode about her case to end on a somber note. As the image we get of Trudy, a young, vivacious girl so full of energy she skipped everywhere she went, isn't one of sadness, but one of joy and optimism. I want to then end this episode talking about what Trudy liked and cared about from the person who possibly knew her the best, Amber. 
What were her um, hobbies or her likes and her, or her dislikes? I mean, really, all we really did was, I mean, we liked to be outside, especially when it was nice out. Um, we roller, we spent a lot of time rollerblading, especially down in the church parking lot because that, you know, it's a big open area. And we'd play, you know, flashlight tag when it would start to get dark, just at stuff out outside. She liked to go camping with her grandparents. Um, she liked to go swimming, you know, anything that had to do with the outdoors, pretty much. She loved it. So did I. We were both a little tomboyish. So can you tell me a little bit about what your relationship with Trudy was like? I mean, it was, we were teenagers. We, well, preteens. She was a preteen. I was a teenager. Um, she, she was my first friend when we moved into this neighborhood. We were best friends for five years. It was about five years. Uh, we'd go rollerblade. We'd um, play street hockey, Super Nintendo, make fun of my brother. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Trudy Appleby, please visit our website, thinairpodcast.com, for links to local law enforcement agencies or call the Moline Police Department directly. You can also send a private message to Amber or Kelly through their Missing Trudy Appleby Facebook page. You will also find links on our website to the Missing Trudy Appleby Reward Fund, as well as age progression photographs. Today, Trudy Appleby would be 31. Original music for this episode was provided by a good friend of ours who has graciously allowed us to use his material to score our podcasts. Additional music provided by Chris Zabriskie. His music can be found at www.chriszabriskie.com. For podcast notes and additional information, please visit our website at www.thinairpodcast.com. Jordan will return in two weeks with a new episode. <laughs>